Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, would you, and open it to the book of Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look at a message called The Face of an Angel. You can shine. It just depends on how much time you spend in the presence of the Lord. Some people came back from Paris and they had a little matchbox they had got as a gift. And it was supposed to glow. And they said, this thing's not working, it's a dud. And it had some, a French inscription on it. And someone was able to translate it and it said, if you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. If you've ever had one of those glow things or balls, you know you've got to keep it near the light, and then you turn the lights out, and then it starts to shine. That's your Christian walk. Stephen apparently spent face-to-face time with God so much so that these attributes became clear in his life. He was full of these things. He, he was a man with a full life, a short life, but a full life. The opposite of an empty life, which is what unbelievers experience, emptiness. Paul says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. There is a fruit that flows from spending time in the light. That was Ephesians 5, 8 through 10. You were formerly darkness, now you're light in the Lord. And when you spend time in the light, you produce more and more of that light. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. You ever had a parent when you were growing up who said, Rise and shine. You're like, Sunglasses on, hoodie, five blankets over you. No, turn it off. Arise and shine, sweetie. How many of you are morning people? Raise up your hand. Okay, how many of you don't like the morning people next to you? (laughs) <laughs> you're like, what are you thinking it's six in the morning give me a coffee injection can I get a witness first thing in the morning it's tough rise and shine bright eyed bushy tail come on man it says behold darkness will cover the earth it's describing the millennial reign of Christ Deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you. And the nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in their arms. And then you will see and be radiant. And your heart will thrill and rejoice. Because of the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. That's Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's what people were seeing in Stephen. They were seeing God on display. They were seeing a full life. They were seeing the fruit of a man who knew God face to face. Sometimes when we're praying, we 
We say, Lord, I'm seeking your face. And what we mean by that is not God's literal face. What we mean is, Lord, I want to know you intimately. Is that you? Is that me? Lord, I want to know you. The power of your resurrection. Oh God, restore us. Cause your face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Psalm 80 Verse 3 and verse 19 says, O Lord God of hosts, restore us. Cause thy face to shine upon us and we will be saved. Daniel 12.3 says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to right righteousness, those who have influenced others to faith, will shine like the stars forever and ever. For he who wins souls is wise. And that was Stephen. Not only was he uh, the Lord allowing healing power to flow from him, but he was obviously preaching the gospel of grace. And Acts 6 says, but there's always those who don't like it. Can you imagine with all these beautiful attributes, some people didn't want to hear Stephen. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, these were slaves under Pompey that were eventually freed and established a community, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians. These may have been separate synagogues because of the linguistic differences, and some from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, it may well be that Stephen was going into synagogues as a mode of evangelism. We see this happen in the Apostle Paul. will go on in the book of Acts and see that Paul, when he came into a new city, would immediately go into the synagogue. And he would begin as a traveling rabbi to reason with them from the scriptures. And so this was something that he did. It was something that Jesus did. Jesus went into the synagogue at Nazareth. He opened to the scroll of Isaiah and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the captives. And he said, after all the eyes were fixed upon him in the synagogue, he said, today, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Now his hometown people, after he preached a little bit more, didn't like what he had to say. And Stephen, much like Jesus, is going to be rejected. But I, I see Stephen maybe even going into these synagogues. And so these people rise up. The, the Jewish Talmud says there were 480 synagogues in Jerusalem at this time. Let me say that again. 480 synagogues. You know how people sometimes say, why are there so many churches in a single city? And that's because there's a lot of church splits, to be frank. A lot of churches that get established are established from churches that split. And they split, and somebody gets mad, and they split. And they literally split, if you know what I'm saying. And so you have all these churches. Now that's not always the case, but I don't know if this is an exaggerated number, but could you imagine in a city like Jerusalem, 480 synagogues? Wow. So there was apparently a lot to choose from, so I think Stephen was maybe making the circuit. All right, guys, give me a chance to speak. I want to tell you about the Lord. And he began to debate with them. That's the word argue. And so you have Cyrenians and Alexandrians, two major cities in North Africa. Cyrene was the home of Simon who carried the cross of Jesus. Cilicia in Asia, Roman provinces in Asia Minor. Cilicia is connected to Paul, whose hometown was Tarsus, located in Cilicia, which may be a clue that 
Saul was involved in the debate with Stephen. I was listening to a debate from an old audio recording of Dr. Martin who took on a liberal professor. The liberal professor was trying to make the case that resurrection is metaphor for the deeper struggle between the Jews and the Romans. It's not really the rising of a clinically dead body. It's a metaphor. So he was invited to debate Walter Martin, and it was a church setting, and his friends and colleagues were telling him, Professor, you're crazy. Don't go and debate this guy. And he goes to the podium and says, I'm the only one that's confident in myself. I believe this will be fine. And so he goes up to the podium, and he begins to articulate his metaphorical position on the resurrection. I really think there's a deeper meaning. It's not really a resurrection. It's this and that. It's about the struggle. Walter Martin comes up there and he says, look, he said, Episcopal, I was in the Episcopal church and I almost got sent to hell by this kind of theology. Let me tell you something. If resurrection is not the raising of a clinically dead body, go do something else. Or in the words of Dr. Martin, rots a rock. If that's what you believe about the resurrection, go surfing. Go do something else. Because Jesus said, destroy my body, and in three days I will raise it again. Going to Jerusalem, he says, I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me, and I'm going to rise from the dead. Don't tell me it's a metaphor. Jesus is the one who said it. Well, you could have heard a pin drop in there. And you could feel the professor shrinking in the corner. Well, Dr. Martin had quotes from him and eventually he exposed that this is what he teaches and the guy tried to recover and he tried to say, I really do believe I'm an evangelical and he was like a little child. Well, Dr. Martin's good at calling people names. Change your face. Anyway, I'll tell you what, guy was undone and Dr. Martin made his closing comments and he said, look, this guy... He's, he's a delightful fellow with whom I have violent disagreements. Here's why. Resurrection in the Bible, Paul says, if Christ be not raised, you are still in your sins. You're dead. Don't tell me this is some theological debate. This is life and death. And he undressed the guy, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> and the guy was done. And it was right. Guy came up to me after the first service and said, I heard a debate between John MacArthur and this guy who was challenging John MacArthur on the radio. And he said, I went, it was at UC Irvine in the 90s, and I was standing at the door, and some of the, the supporters of the guy against MacArthur were saying, oh, I don't know what this religious guy's going to do. What's he going to do against this great intellect on the radio, right? So the debate unfolded, and MacArthur just pounded this guy. Well, the guy said he was walking out and he saw these same guys that were the supporters of the, the atheist guy walking out too. And he said, well, what did you think of the debate? And the one guy said, and they were confident at the beginning that their man was going to take down MacArthur, right? And they said, it kind of felt like, have you ever been in a situation where your dad was beating your younger brother and at some point you just said, dad, stop, dad, stop. He said, that's what the debate felt like. MacArthur beating up this guy <laughs> as my younger brother. And you don't know why uh, that Stephen was so effective, verse 10, they were unable to cope with his wisdom. It's because he had truth and the power of the Holy Spirit on his side. You debate an atheist. What's the best you got? Well, we believe that millions and billions of years ago, something exploded. 
We don't know where that something came from, but it created this mass, incredible, detailed complexity and order that we see today. And then something out of a primordial clam chowder came out and he came to the shore. And I'm alive! And then, you know, he grew into this and then he was an alligator and then he was this and then he was that and then he was... You've seen those drawings in the book, right? He's kind of bent over and then he found a razor and a good chiropractor. How you doing? You know. Wow, that sounds intellectual to me. So they were unable to cope. They said something like this. This is in the Greek. I can't cope, man. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway. So they were unable to cope with his wisdom. The, the Greek word is Sophia and the spirit with which he was speaking. The source of Stephen's wisdom was the spirit of the living God. Full of faith, full of, full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Ecclesiastes 8.1, write it down, says these words. Who is like the wise man? Ecclesiastes 8.1. Who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom will illumine him. The New King James says, A man's wisdom will make his face shine and cause his stern face to beam. The NIV Ecclesiastes 8.1 says, Who is like the wise man? who knows the explanation of things. Wisdom brightens a man's face and changes its hard appearance. The idiom to cause his face to shine is an image of a person who is stable. If you've ever been around a person who is wise and stable, it's like their face shines. They know the word of God. They know why they're here, where they're going. It says in Psalm 119, 134, and 35, Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep thy precepts. Make thy face shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. You know, whenever I make a discovery in the Word of God, and as I'm in my office or something, I tell you what, there's, there's a, a way that my face just begins to beam. It's like, I, I do something like this. Wow! Whoa, Lord, that's too much. You ever been there before? You're making connections in the Bible. You're like, whoa, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. So they couldn't cope in a fair debate, so they secretly induced, that means they prompted men to say, we've heard him, this man, speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Wow. And they stirred up the people. Apparently the people that had been experiencing the grace of Stephen's life, people are fickle. The elders and the scribes, verse 12, Acts 6, and they came upon him, this speaks of violence, and dragged him away and brought him before the council of the Sanhedrin. They couldn't win a fair debate, so they literally violently dragged him away, stirred up the people, much like happened in Jesus' case from the religious leaders, stirred them up to ask for Barabbas. They started a Barabbas. They started a smear campaign against Stephen. I don't know when the trial began, but they convened the, the court and they put forward 13 false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. Can you get any more uh, 
uh, near and dear to the heart of Israel. Any more explosive accusations? Guy speaks against the temple. And he speaks against the law of Moses. Wow. I want to talk about inflammatory comments. You know, we've all had probably people say false things against us, but it's terrible when someone starts saying stuff about your faith that's not true or beliefs that you have that are not true. I think Stephen was simply saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. He's the fulfillment of the law of Moses. I think that's what he was preaching. They said, for we've heard him say, 14, that this Nazarene, that's a derisive term, Nazareth was looked down on, this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. All they had was false witnesses. It's kind of cool when you're living a life that all they can do is come up with false testimony against you. Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. All these false witnesses come and they're testifying and they're Stephen. He's been dragged there violently and they look at their, his face. Everybody's like, what is going on? Why in that setting do you think that God did something special in Stephen's face? Remember, there's only a, really one other reference to this kind of thing happening and it's Moses getting the law. And who did they say Stephen was speaking against? Moses and the law. And when Moses went and got the law, he came down and his face was radiating. And finally, he, he saw the revelry and God said, the people who you led out of Israel, your people, well, they're up to no good. And Moses went down and he threw the law down and broke it because that's what they had done, broken every law. And Moses eventually went back up. He interceded for the people. And Moses said, if you don't go with us, I don't want to go, Lord. I don't want an angel leading us. I, I want to know you. Show me, I pray. Exodus 33:18. Show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my face and live, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll allow the afterglow, the back parts of my glory to pass by you. I'll allow my goodness to pass by you. And one of the manifestations of the glory of God is the goodness of God. It's the goodness and kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And God came and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord, and He let His goodness and His compassion, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, pass before Moses. And Moses experienced the glory of God up on Sinai, and he was never the same again. And God was, it's as if God was saying, Hey, boys. If you want to accuse this man of speaking against Moses and the law, I got news for you. I'm going to show you that not only is he with me, he believes in the law, he's on my side, he knows me. As a matter of fact, he knows me, and you don't. How could you be sitting in the council that day and see the radiating glory of God and somehow overlook that and still condemn this man. Wouldn't that change your life forever if you saw that? Haven't you had one of those poignant moments where God revealed his glory, maybe for a split second, and you were never the same again? Well, I think Saul was sitting there, and I think Saul heard his wisdom, maybe lost a debate against him, saw the glory on his face, and these were the early seeds 
perhaps in Saul's life. Charles Spurgeon told his students, Men, when you teach on heaven, let there always be a glow on your face, a gleam in your eye, and a grin on your lips. And when you teach on hell, your normal face will be fine. (laughs) Many occasions in the Bible where people saw God's face in whatever that manifestation it was. And it was obviously not the full glory of God, but Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. Moses said in Deuteronomy 5.4, The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. In Deuteronomy 34.9, it says, Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. When Gideon saw that the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid. You will not die. On special occasions, the Lord lets us get a closer look, if you will. Not the full radiance of his glory, but we get to know the Lord a little bit more intimately. And when you do, there is nothing that compares. Nothing. The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I leave you with the Apostle Paul and his words. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, and reason as a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I also have been fully known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, thank you that one day Revelation 21 says you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we will see your face. What an amazing promise that you've given to us. Sometimes you give us little glimmers, little uh, times when we get to see uh, your heart revealed in people and places and situations. We see it in the Word of God. We see it in the Church of God. We see it in the worship of God. We see it in times when we may be downcast and you touch us. I see a man of, of Stephen's character who trusted you and walked by grace and faith. And I pray that we will do that as well. You will touch us and shine through us. That you will change our face so that we may display more of the glory of God. Keep your heart and head bowed. If you're not a Christian today, Jesus Christ wants to come and live in you, but you must have a moment where you repent of your sin and receive him. A prayer is not necessarily in the Bible a sinner's prayer, but the Bible does say confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible does say believe on him. The Bible does say repent and trust in him. So you must have a moment in your life where you open your heart and trust in Jesus Christ. Something like this if you want to pray right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I've sinned against you. I repent and I'm sorry. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. 
Thank you that you rose to defeat death. I trust you as my Savior and Lord. Maybe some of you who are here today and you're Christians, but you've been downcast, and there's certainly legitimate reasons for that. But I pray that the Lord will brighten your countenance today. Put his joy in your heart. Strengthen your life. Lord, may you bless your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message again, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you've been blessed by this ministry or if we can pray for you, let us know. You can get to know us better, find helpful resources, and give to this growing radio ministry at livingtruthcorona.org. I want to ask you this. You, I'm sure, have witnessed, as you, as I have also, uh, new believers. They're on fire and they want to serve the Lord. But for the most part, there's a big percentage of people who just don't want to do the servant's work anymore. And, of course, there's also others that want to join a church, but they want to be in the spotlight. I didn't come here to, you know, do the menial things, as they would put it. But to serve widows, that is the heart of God, to take care of, of one another. So here we have Stephen exceeding all this and being an example, and he never, his fire never went out. Well, it's one of those things, Oscar, where it's kind of like, you know, uh, we should be saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And, you know, Stephen's approached here, and I'm not saying that that means for everybody that you say yes to everything. But here's a guy who raised up his hand and said, yes, I will serve. And you're right, Oscar. I mean, this isn't true of everybody. Some people really enjoy working in the background, and they, they love hospitality and mercy. And we have so many people here that, you know, they, they really thrive in those areas. But there are some people who have the mindset of, mm-hmm. you know, I want to go directly into a teaching ministry. Well, you know, the old stories of the Calvary Chapel days is they would have you sweep. They'd have you go out and do, you know, clean the toilets or do whatever to see if your heart was a heart of service. And I, I remember hearing stories of Pastor Chuck telling, you know, prospective pastors, if you really want to teach, go teach in children's ministry mm-hmm. first. And if you can teach kids, then you can probably teach adults. And, you know, I can't, you're in this fellowship, so you know this, I can't ha- tell you how many times We've put forth a need for teachers, and you know our congregation is wonderful, so we've had great faithful servants in Sunday school, but there are some areas of ministry where you put it out over and over and over again. You're just waiting for someone to raise their hand, and sometimes it seems like uh, the majority of the people just want to come and listen and leave, mm-hmm. to be blunt. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.